Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. This episode is a lively conversation with the co-owners of Bellflower Brewing in Portland, Maine, about art and recipe creation and finding ways to have everyone play to their strengths. And we'll get into it all in a moment. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com for original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. You can visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to help keep the content fresh. And a few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show or any of our shows, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. And if you're a smoked beer fan, and of course you are, check out This Week in Rout Beer. Search for the Facebook group or follow on Instagram and Twitter at Beer. So a decade ago, Zach Page and Nick Bonades met as homebrewers who volunteered to help launch Trillium Brewing Company. Zach, who now handles a lot of the brewing responsibilities, moved to Maine and first worked at Lone Pine Brewing Company, where he facilitated their expansion. Nick, who now does a lot of the marketing, naming, and other managerial responsibilities, stayed in Massachusetts for a while, where he coordinated Trillium's expansion products. Eventually, they got back together professionally and brought their wives, Melissa and Katie, into the fold, with the four of them opening Bellflower in 2021. Nick and Zach sat down with me last week in their tap room, both sharing a mic to talk art and surprises, family balance, and being part of a larger community. Here's our conversation. In a relationship, in a business relationship like this, though, where you have your spouses involved in the way that you do, is there a third relationship in the way that you two interact beer-wise that is similar to a, a marriage? Or is it all very... Like, can you leave family stuff at home? Oh, I... <laughs> it's it's really hard to compartmentalize. I don't okay. know if that's if that's possible. Like yeah. your work life and your home life just naturally have to to intermingle. Um, perfect example is the other day uh, there was a big snowstorm and schools closed, and you know my Katie works part time, um, so that just happened to be her her normal day off or her day working at the brewery. It's not a day off. It's never a day off when you have kids. Yeah. Um, yes. But uh, she, she, you know, she was at home with the kids, and I came in and like did some stuff around the brewery, and then Zach and I met at my house with all the kids there and Katie to like talk about you know the production schedule coming up and all the beers we were releasing and all the label artwork that we need to work on. So you know, it's we we I think we've we've towed the line pretty well on like balancing out like the family and the work relationship. But yeah, like Zach said, it tends to blur. And actually, like part of the reason specifically we wanted to involve Katie and Melissa uh, was because our families are basically the same age, same demographic, except you have a daughter and I have two sons and you have a son and a daughter. Uh, I'm pointing to Zach there. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it was important to keep them as involved in the brewery as, as we were because, you know, we all we all had to go together through this, you know, this journey. Yeah, that that's uh, Melissa and I felt so comfortable going into business with uh, Nick and Katie because they're in the same sort of point in our life uh, with young families, um, and we knew that that was always going to be the priority, right? So we built the brewery knowing that we had those responsibilities at home, and that was going to be number one yeah. always. 
But you also have to make sure that it's not just, okay, we're two business partners who get along, but now it's we're four business partners who get along who also, you know, have you know, the personal relationships as well. It, it strikes me that it is that much more complicated, but in a fun, challenging way. I'm, I, none of this is disparaging. I'm just, I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think I think the, the biggest thing with that is, a perfect example is, um, you know, uh, working with Katie on art and because she's very uh she's she's basically our art director so she does like the the curating of the tap room space the art here and she does the curating of the uh label artwork and you know her and i we get into professional disagreements about art occasionally (laughs) (laughs) but it's uh, you know i always i always have to keep in the back of my head that it's a professional disagreement about something um but you know, like, I think that that dynamic is, is it's actually a, it's like, a business decision, not necessarily yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, nine nine times out of ten, she is right, and like it's important for us to have that like that balance there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining like the fights at home though of just like you didn't put your, the dishes in the dishwasher like I asked, and also, yeah. you and know. also you didn't get me the ABB of that label in time, so that's why it's late. Yeah, <laughs> okay. That's why I didn't put the forks in correctly. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> passive aggressiveness at home. You know, it's, I was gonna mow the lawn, you know, but yeah, it's. <laughs> And I'm not trying to make like a honeymooners thing out oh, of yeah, it, yeah. but it's it's one yeah. of those things. My wife and I worked together on a project once, and then like afterwards, it was like we parted ways, and we're like, you know, hey, let's just stay married. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we should. And yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Melissa and I keep checking in with each other every couple of months. Like, you still like working with me, right? Is this working? Okay, yeah, it's working. <laughs> <laughs> but that's but that's also important as well, right? Of regular check-ins because I feel like something could fester or something could very quickly, especially with kids and life and everything getting in the way, there's, yeah, you know, it's not just the, the, the work stress, but the home stress and happiness and success and everything. But yeah. Yeah. We, we make it a priority as owners to meet every, like once a week at a minimum, you know, we're in constant um, conversation over text or email or whatnot, but it's important to, to get together and have very open conversations and make sure that yeah. nothing is, you know, festering, as you said, under the surface. You both were at Trillium. Um, which also famously has a married couple running the the, the brewery as well. Uh, did, did Esther and JC did they provide sort of a roadmap in some ways? Not so much. It's a t- it's a tough answer or tough question to answer, mostly because it's such a different dynamic. You know, when you're when you're like just two people working together all the time and you know making decisions in in that way uh, versus four people all making decisions together. Um, I think, I think for us, like we've worked out like a great balance of, of like, and like a, uh, separation of like duties for everyone. So it's like catering towards everyone's, um, you know, strengths in, in what they do and, yeah. and, and how they operate and, and how they make decisions. So I think it's like a, just a different dynamic than, than what they have. You know, they're, they're, they're amazing, like very successful people, and you know I admire like the work that they've done. But I'm not trying to replicate, you know. I, I, and I wasn't suggesting that oh, no, you no, were yeah, by yeah. by any means. I mean, I, I I feel like there have been breweries that have seen the Trillium model and been like, yeah, we can do that. It's like, no, fuck you can. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Um, so when you're talking about strengths, then uh, and everybody's sort of bringing their own strengths. 
um, uh, and I'll, I'll ask Zach first. What, what is the strength that you bring out of the four of you as owners? Uh, I mean, it was natural for me to um, kind of focus on brewing operations. Um, I worked several jobs while I was at Trillium and had several titles. Um, but by the end, I was director of brewing operations. So overseeing everything from like procurement, you know, to ske- scheduling, uh, managing the the team and uh, making sure the beer is getting to where it needs to go. And then um, in 2018, moved up here to take over the same role at Lone Pine Brewing Company sure. as they went through a large expansion. Um, Which was and dif- aimed, different challenges. That was different, aimed to be pretty significant at the time. Yes, yeah. So I think they were only at like eight. Oh no, it was less than that. Maybe around 1,500 barrels when I walked in at their um, their first facility, and by the time I left, between their two facilities and contract brewing, uh, they were at close to 20,000 barrels. So it was, Jesus. Yeah, just a couple years. So it was it was a lot of growth in a very short period period of time. Yeah. Um. So na- naturally, that's sort of uh, where my role fell into here, um, as kind of head brewer, uh, production manager. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, where are your strengths? I just want to say, Zach, you're amazing at all that stuff too. That's why. <laughs> that's why we. Uh, why we need you doing that, those things. <laughs> um, you know, I. I've your, had, your strength is bolstering and cheerleading yeah, for. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I would definitely. And and the opposite way, like, oh no, this is doom and gloom. What are we gonna do? But uh, no, I mean, you know, I uh, I've worked like a number of different roles in my my career. Um, I started in started my career in advertising um, out of college and worked on engineering teams for, for advertising. So like I, I think a lot about like um, how we speak about ourselves and there I just said I'm um, on a radio and it's, it's like it's like the, the number one rule. My, my grandfather was a radio man. He was okay. Ross the musical boss on WTIC Hartford. Okay. <laughs> so that's why I have my, that's where the I whale. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but uh you know, so that's how I think about a lot of a lot of the stuff that we do. It's like, okay, what what's the story behind this? How are we talking about it? What's the mission? What's the vision? Why why do this this way instead of doing something the other way? So it's a lot of like thinking about like the business from that perspective, and like trying to guide everyone in that way, um, and not necessarily like setting guardrails for anyone, but saying like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? I also try to come up with like a lot of the beer names because like I, I just like doing that, you know. <laughs> How hard is naming beers in, in 2023? Very difficult. Yeah, I mean, like, if you, like is it even <laughs> worth it right now? I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, like, uh, you know, we've we I think the the past week we reached a peak sentence beer name <laughs> with our our, uh, our internal Slack. Because you know, like if you come up with a name and you look, you, you search it, like somebody's already used it. Yes. So you so you have to start like stringing words together <laughs> lo- in longer sentences to uh, to find so, something. So so it's that, a Fiona Apple album. Kinda, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, so like looking the at the Gen menu Xers right now, got that. Nobody else did, but yeah, that's yeah. fine. That's fine. But I'm like I'm like it's looking fine. at the, the menu now, but you know, it's it's things like uh, like an early appearance of stars. You know, like that's a great, that's a great exa- great example of one of our beer names or. Into the kaleidoscope, a revival of consciousness, the awakening place—you know all these all these names that. Uh... How, how hard is that though for? At forty-three now, I'm like I just want like I'll look at it and I'll just see what the style is and I'll just be like, pale ale, yeah, you yeah. know <laughs> Italian pills, like yeah. what like whatever. Are people ordering by? Do people do those longer names create a a stronger bond with drinkers? 
I think they might peak uh, peak interest, uh, but for for us, it's not just about the name, but it's it's the story. Like everything has to tie tie back, um, you know, to to who we are, to to the brand. Um, sure, people want good product, but they also want to feel like they're having an experience when they have your your beer. You know, that's yeah. everything from the name, from the intention, what's in your glass, the the can art, who's making it. So, perfect example with that. Um, uh, the Awakening Place, which is one of those names I just kind of threw out. Um, when I was a home brewer, I, you know, I used to brew like a ton of stouts. Stouts were my favorite thing to brew. Um, and I had this like aha moment one time while brewing. And like I, I kind of changed how I was brewing those for, for from then on. And that was my like, oh my gosh, that's like the place where I awoke. You know, that was my awakening place. It's so like that beer was based on, you know, that the learning from those like whatever, the Mal- Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours yeah. of, uh, of, of brewing stouts at home. And then taking it a step further, we're about to release a, a collab with uh, Jonathan Wakefield and, and we're calling it the Revival of Consciousness because the base beer of that is uh, double barrel aged awakening place. <laughs> And so now it's the revival of consciousness. It's coming back, you know, into awareness from that that initial awakening place, and and you know, building up from that. So you know, like weaving like a, a story in with like the actual beer name it helps. I think it helps people connect more with the brand and like the things that you're trying to say about you know what your intention is behind the thing. Um, yeah. So how do you? But how do you get that story in front of people? Obviously, you know, through, through this wildly successful podcast that you're on right now. Exactly. But how, how do you... <laughs> but how do you do that in a 25-second taproom encounter? Because that, that, to me, I feel like is, is, is the big trying to grab smoke that breweries have these days. It's like, that's a really cool story. Yeah. And it's, it's, it makes me... Now that you've told me, like, oh, I want to drink your stouts now because you're passionate about it and, and you're really interested about it. But if somebody comes in here on a busy Saturday afternoon, you're not going to be, gather around, children. Like, yeah. <laughs> let me tell you about our, you know, 9,999 yeah, before, yeah. yeah. I mean, so that's like, that's like the, uh, the trick, right, about advertising and marketing is, is how, do you, how, do you, how do you speak to people and how do you tell your stories and, like, what are the mediums that you're using to tell those stories, right? So... You know, the most powerful one is in person, which which you just mentioned, like the, yeah. the 25 seconds at the bar with the tap room. So it's arming the team with those stories. Um, you know, the other ways are like brew bus tours when, when the brew bus comes through. It's also like uh, going to festivals and pouring beer and like, you know, people say, well, why is this beer called Into the Kaleidoscope? And it's like, well, because it's got these amazing hops in it. And like, if you stare into it, like you're going to, you're going to like trip through the and, vortex, man. And twist your glass in yeah, the sunlight. Exactly. Don't put your hoppy <laughs> beers in the sunlight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not. But, uh, and you know, like, like we use Instagram for like, uh, the majority of the way we speak to people. So it's, it's putting the, putting those photos up there and then like telling the story alongside the beer and trying to make the photos reflect like what the story actually is, you know? So so it's complicated, but it's a lot of that. Did you want to jump in here on that? No, I mean, I, I think you, you cover everything. <laughs> yeah, to me, uh, you know, most importantly, it is that personal interaction. Like you said, arming the team with, with the story. I think our staff does an excellent job. Like so many times I'm on the packaging line back there, and I hear the interactions that they're having with customers and, and telling our story the way that we, we would want to, and I'm super proud of them. 
and as you said, festivals. We were just down at Wakefest. Uh, yeah, which is where I met John. you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it just had so many meaningful, meaningful interactions with uh, people at the festival. Who this is their first time interacting with with our brand. Okay. And they actually want to know more. It's not just fill my cup. It's uh, what you know. Who are you? Where are you from? Why did you start a brewery? What's in my glass? And you get to yeah. have that those couple minutes. And I think it, that goes a long way. And that's the interesting thing is in, in looking at the Wakefest for everybody who, for context for everybody who listens to the show, but also steal this beer. I met these guys uh, uh, just after we had recorded six episodes in a row. So. Um, <laughs> And I was like, oh, hey, Bellflower, you guys are on my list. Like, that's exciting. And I, like, assaulted you guys in the middle of the tap room. Like, hey, let's reach out and, like, come on my show. And you're like, hey, cool, man. Like, everybody else in Miami is chill. Why aren't you? Um, because I had just recorded six shows with Augie Carton uh, just beforehand. That's why. Um, but I feel like a festival like that, when you get on the list, you're, of, you're doing something interesting. And I trust... Jonathan and Maria and their staff to like curate a, a, a group of breweries that are going to be of note. So when I saw, wow, there's a Portland brewery on here, like, okay. And it's not one of the, the names that, you know, I might expect. Yeah. I was like, okay. So like I started digging into you guys and then I saw you guys and, you know, so, so that's, that's how that came together. It, but that's got to be kind of fun when you're in a town like Portland where, Allagash is the 9,000 pound gorilla in the room, you know, mm -hmm. and I literally just came from there before I came here uh, because you have to, you know, yeah. and fresh white is the best way. And yeah. It's, it's yeah. really good when it travels to a place, it loses luster and it only gets a bronze. Um, but there's a. <laughs> just talking about that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> How'd that happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it traveled outside of Portland. I, I feel like next time they're going to judge Whit Beers in the World Beer Cup, they should just fly everybody up here yeah. and they should just do it in the tasting room. And it's just unanimous descent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but how do you stand out in, in a crowd where there are, you know, what, six breweries within a three block radius of here, more or less? And then you have. You know, when you expand out into Portland Greater and you go up into Freeport, you go down to Biddeford, you go like, I mean, this area of Maine is so saturated with good beer already, usually. Yeah. When you guys were getting ready to open up, even with Trillium in the back of your mind or your experiences in the back of your mind, how did you get to the point where you're like, okay, this is what we're going to be and we're going to carve our own road forward? Because it's clearly working. Yeah, that was that was well, I think the big terror. Yeah, the big terror. That was a long lead up, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's what we were uh, most terrified of. Not that we weren't confident in our abilities to make great beer and create a great great brand, but there are so many breweries and and so much amazing beer in this town. How do you stand out? How do you get your voice heard? Uh, but by customers. Um, that's that's a tough question. Again, to go back to um, like the storytelling of, of it all, I think opening up a brewery in today's age, having good beer is is just a prerequisite. You have there, you you cannot survive unless you're making great great liquid, right? And then beyond that, it is how are people connecting to your brand? What is the space that you're creating where they're going to be enjoying the beer? Like, it, is it inviting? Is it a place where people want to return to, or are they just one one and done? Why are people going to continue to come back? have a pint and pick up some four packs to, to go home. So that's the mindset we were kind of coming coming at it with. Um, 
too, but, too but often other, breweries are just folks focused done that on the that, beer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you, so you think it, it really is just we're going to make good liquid and it's, it's the field of dreams kind of thing? Oh, no, no, no. no. I think that, that's what too many breweries are, are doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. No, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, if I build, yeah, if I brew it, they will come, and it's yeah. like, well, no, that's not that's not the case anymore. There are nine thousand breweries in the U.S. There's a lot of con- competition. Um, you need to make yourself, you know, stand out. You need to be a cut above um, the rest. So when you're having those meetings, then how do you address that? Like with your, with your your you know your team ownership meetings, how do you address that? That's why I'm so glad I, we, went, we went into business with you and Katie because I can't imagine doing this uh, on my own or just, just with Melissa. I think it was necessary to have yeah. all four of our perspectives coming, coming into this to be able to build the brand that we did. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that, um, you know, one of the things we talked about a little bit already was, was storytelling and, you know, the, the connection and connection that people can, would feel to those stories that you're telling. And I think that's been one of the, one of the differentiators really like, so perfect, perfect example, right? Like every, every name Katie filters. So I, I'm going to credit Katie and Melissa a lot here because it's truly, um, I feel like the magic is truly from them. So like Katie, Katie filters every name and she's like, okay, that's a cool name, but like, what does it mean? You know? So like, how, how does that, how does that tie into literally anything that you just said to me? <laughs> And so, like, I have to sit there and think about it for longer, and I have to say, okay, well, this is this is the story that we're crafting, you know, with this beer, and this is why this beer is is named this, and why this is important. And I think like having that like grounding um, is is a lot more important. And I and I think that like, you know, and, and I I know my experience from Trillium and how we name beers and 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 whatever. Um, but like, I think I think like having that intention and going into it with with that sort of thing plays through to customer perception as well you know because because if something means nothing then it doesn't mean anything to anyone right (laughs) but if it means something like very powerful to me then i can pass that message along that much easier yeah and i can make the taproom team excited about it i can say like yeah okay uh so here's our here's our farmhouse beer the the reason this is important is because you know we named the, the brewery after my family's farm it was a homestead they grew everything they ate or traded for it or worked for it. And, you know, great, great granddad planted an apple orchard. And so we, that was one of the like capstones on the, like, you know, the last family that lived there. And so we put apple cider in the farmhouse beer and we fermented that out, you know, alongside it. And that's why it's special and different and important because it's like ties back into that, that whole story and it gets them excited. to be like, yeah, this is, this is so cool. This is why we did this. And, and I don't know, I think that like plays through to, to consumers and, and how they perceive like the brand and the liquid and then you know to carry on what zach was saying the space itself so like this this was a brewery before yeah um and they're super nice people and they made really they made good beer um but the space like wasn't as welcoming and inviting in my opinion as 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 it is now yeah and again that's like again it's curated by katie and melissa like the art on the walls the paint colors, like the choices that we made, like all of that stuff like plays into, into that experience. So. I, I read online that one of the, wood, it, it, it's very nice wood beams and uh, slate colors, stone colors and honeycomb <coughs> tile and all that. But uh, there's a beam somewhere in here that is from the family farm from an no, old it's, apple tree. It's, so it's not actually, but oh, it is man. The, the, yeah, it's on the, the website. Uh, no, is it? I got to yeah. look at that again. Look at that again. But the, the, actually the, the bar is made out of a, um, 
beams from an old apple barn that was okay. uh, that fell down uh, in Maine. Maybe that's what I read. That's, but that's like, probably what it was. Yeah. Okay. But the, the actually the the bellflower tree uh, does actually still stand in the barn at the farm right okay. now. Somebody, I think somebody hit it with a car or it died after do. somebody hit it with a car. <laughs> sure. And they, they, uh, they cut the, is this somebody, know, is this you confessing on not the radio me, right now? It wasn't now? me. Okay. <laughs> it was already done before, you know, before I was even in existence. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the, it's funny cause the trunk of the tree is just like cut and it kind of like stands in the barn as like this, you know, reminder of, of everything that we had to Maybe go through. Maybe that's what I read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I dig that. Do you want to jump in here? You looked like you were oh, ready to, yeah. No, no, I'm oh, okay. just in, enthralled by Nick's uh, storytelling. <laughs> I can weave a yarn, all right? Well, no, so yeah. when I think of Portland, Maine, obviously Allagash comes to mind first, but it's because of white and because of the reach that that beer has. And I enjoy Triple. I like a lot of the other beers that they make. I feel like I'm skeptical of their hop-forward beers, uh, because it's not something that I know from them or expect from them. Uh, and this is just me speaking. But that new crop of brewers 10 years ago, 15 years ago, of, you know, Bissell and some of the others that came up that were, hey, we're going to lead this hazy charge. We are going to own this. And you're not going to tell which one was hopped with Citra and Mosaic and which one was hopped with Mosaic and Citra uh, because they're both the same and it's fine. But it built up this sort of industry and in Maine, like you would come here for the hazies and you would come here for, for that whole thing. It was fascinating to me to sit down with the two of you and a glass of Italian Pilsner got in front of me. And right before we went on the air, I said, what do you guys want to talk about? And you're both like, loggers. Let's talk about the loggers. Like, which, is, which is exactly where I want to be in life, but not necessarily something that I would think about in this town that gave us Blackfly Stout from Gritty McDuff's. Or like, you know, I, this has always been sort of an ale town. Is Portland becoming a lager town? Do you, do you want Portland to become a lager town? I think it depends. Uh, I mean, I, I would love that, uh, personally, just given my drinking habits. But um, I think it depends uh, where you're drinking. Um, so I, you mentioned the Italian Pilsner. This is yeah. something that we package. It's actually, uh, we brewed it um, inspired by a restaurant that's down the street. And they, they're called Full Turn, and uh, every quarter or so, um, they're turning their menu over completely to a different concept. So they're about to launch a small plate Italian uh, menu. So okay. we brewed this beer that's going to be, um, you know, on tap there and, and in our tap room uh, to pair with their um, with with their food. But we put it on tap here. What? three two weeks ago yeah we can have and every single day we can it's, yeah. yeah every single day it's it's our best seller here in the in the tap room because <laughs> that, that's just people see it and they're are they intrigued by the italianness of it or i think is they're it just, intrigued by a style because it's not you know it, it you most often yeah see german you know pilsner check and like oh what what is this i i, I want to try it it's also one of our lowest abv options and people are God here for, for yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people are here to have a couple with their with their friends and they're not going for the d- double ipa um that that being said you know the vast majority of our production i think like most people is uh, ipa yeah um and that's what people are taking home you know our our biggest to go four packs uh, or the largest quantity we sell is in IPA and double IPA category still. Are you guys on a 
you mentioned the the, the brew bus, and I, I, I kind of want to talk about that, but also just generic uh, crawls of people coming through. Of they're going to go to Austin Strait, they're going to go to Rising Tide, they're going to come here, they're going to go to Urban Farm, they're going to go to Good Fire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh yeah. Like, are you guys on a you know some sort of circuit, and it, it, could that also be a reason why low ABV plays a factor? You know. It's how I order beer, but I'm also drinking a lot. So yeah, I don't know if there are official crawls, but I think people make their own. We're yeah. in an awesome neighborhood that you know we're around so many awesome. Uh, oh yeah, the yeah the Run, run Club uh, comes by every week. Um, I don't know. They're they're crushing double IPAs sometimes. So I think after the run, you, you know, sure. they need yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I think that's part of it. I, but I think you also see, we, we offer smaller pours, so you'll see those people coming in and maybe they do want to try our Imperial Stout or, or a double IPA or, you know, Imperial Sour or something. And they'll have smaller, you know, um, um, smaller pours of that. But I think that, that does play into it. You know, if people are out on a Saturday, they're starting their day at, at noon visiting breweries, you know, they're going to go for a lower ABV, yeah. ABV option. I think the other the other factor with like loggers and like having like a I call it a logger program at this point because we have so many brands. Um, but I, I think part of that is is the challenge, right? So so you know Zach and and I have been making you know hazy hoppy beer for a long time, and it's not that it's easy, but it's one of those things where it's like okay, we know all the like levers to pull right. to like do that stuff. So like let's let's push ourselves a little bit further and, and say like all right we're gonna make a Baltic porter and it's gonna lager for two months like how do we how do we make that happen in a in yeah. a meaningful way that is tastes amazing at the end of it and, yeah. and like it's something that we can be really proud of like that's one of those beers that's one of the beers that I'm like hyper proud of that yeah. we made because it's so good like I I pulled a bottle from my fridge it was two years old it was uh the first or no year and a half old or whatever the first batch we brewed and I drank it two weeks ago it was amazing i'm like oh my gosh kills me like that was my last bottle you know <laughs> we haven't brewed it since but and you know exploring those styles and the challenge that they provide like i think is is uh creatively uh i don't know i'm speaking for you zach but creatively like it's rewarding for for me to see us be able to, to be able to produce those things in meaningful ways and have the end result be you know really good so yeah when you think about the levers to pull for hazy IPA, though, right? Because I feel for, for a long time, there were a, hand, a very small handful of breweries that were doing them of note. A lot of people were making them, but the ones that I wanted to drink or the ones that I wanted to you know, have more than one of um, were the ones that really put a lot of thought and time and attention into it. How, how have you seen... New England style hazy, whatever we're calling it these days. How, how have you seen that evolve, and where is it now? You know, flavor-wise. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's changed a lot. I, you know, seeing helping uh, Trillium uh, open and seeing the rise of the New England IPA around that time. I think there were a lot uh, more varied. Um, recipes and processes for, for making those. People were using all different sorts of yeast, yeast strains. Um, and I think over time, just given the market and what people preferred, that um, it seems like the industry as a whole kind of narrowed in on what what the go-to recipe is going to be and what yeast strain we're, we're all going to use. Everyone's going to use London 3. It's going to have 20% flaked oats and, <laughs> and some two-row. 
and hop to three pounds per barrel of, of you know, or four pounds per barrel of Citra. Boom. You know, ship it. Done. That's it. Yeah. Done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Back up the bridge strap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that's great. I don't think that's going to cut it anymore. That is what, you know, literally everybody's doing and it's cookie cutter and it's no longer interesting. Um, I still think there's a lot to explore within the New England IPA realm. Um, and, uh, and we make them um, and we push boundaries because that's the only way that it stays interesting to us. We don't want to do the cookie cutter thing. So we're constantly playing around. Um, with process, with um, new hot varieties, with new advanced hot products, um, to try to keep it keep it interesting. And I think we create profiles that are outside of what you're going to find, you know, of our neighbors uh, who who also make great beer and have their own stamp on it. But um, we, I think, we have our own stamp that um, we're proud of, and it keeps it interesting for me personally. Yeah, yeah. I think a good again, like talking about our our specific uh, beers and our brands and. You know, being being uh, creatively interested, and I'll back up just like one second into like, ha- into how we how we like when we think about beers and when we're designing beers. And Zach talks a lot about this. Um, we usually start with like what the end result is going to be, right? So we'll say like, okay, we want this double IPA. This is going to be a double IPA. We want it to have like a lot of melon, cantaloupe character, with like undercurrents of like mango or papaya, le- a little bit of lychee in there. It's like, okay, so how do we get that stuff in there, right? Oh, well, we use these these hop varieties in these quantities at this time, like that. Then then we know we'll get there. So like one of the one of the um, beers we made a little bit late in the season last year, but we're gonna bring it back um, for the spring and summer this year. It's called Reflections of a Bad Sea. Another long name. Wow. <laughs> um, but the reason the reason it's called Reflections of a Bad Sea is uh, the way I, the way I thought about this name was we wanted to do a double IPA and. Um, now the hop variety is escaping my my brain um but leaning kind of into that like lime characteristic that we get out of like a a lot of our uh uh, not a lot but like some some of the specific hop varieties that we use so it's like okay i want this like double ip to be like lime forward i want to i want to have it like nice and hoppy but then i also want to like build that lime up with lime because that's what it is okay um and thinking about it from like that sort of culinary aspect so reflections of a bad sea, we we load up the uh, the beer with uh, it's Eldorado. It's El- yeah, Eldorado. Yeah, Eldorado. Yeah, just came to me. Uh, sorry, <laughs> yeah. Eldorado and lime, and what does that mean for like naming it? Right? Okay. Well, if you think about like the ships that used to carry limes up here, they sank, and then you'd see like limes floating in the water. So like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, <laughs> a reflection of a bad sea is a bunch of limes floating in the water because you know this boat sank. I mean, but, <laughs> you know. The beer tastes awesome. The, you took the long road to get there, but <laughs> yeah, did, that's yeah. Uh, that's the scenic route. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's but, one ship that that sank once with the limes on it. Exactly, and, and then they they washed up on shore. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's a great example of like, okay, we're gonna tailor this this name to what this end end beer is gonna be, and it's a really really good beer. I mean, I, like, I feel like there needs to be a really dramatic oil on canvas of. The final, the, the final part of the ship just going under, and just the first little specks of green, yeah. you know, <laughs> popping, popping up, kind up of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, a widow's walk in the background. Like, there's all just sort of, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, everybody died of scurvy that season. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no, uh, yeah. no citrus available. <laughs> it's, ter- <laughs> it's terrible. Um, we talked about the strengths of three of you so far, but. Um, on the website, Melissa comes up 
um, as uh, a, a dietitian, as a nutritionist, as and on the website, uh, which <laughs> maybe I'm not reading properly enough uh, based on the, the <laughs> beam that I was looking for before, um, but that she helps with the menu and that she sort of guides um, pairings and guides. Uh, she she's in charge, so we don't have a, a, a kitchen here, and we right. rely on. Food I, I'm, trucks. I'm like looking around. And, I was like, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> uh, we we do offer. Then I misread um, the website again. Yeah. yeah, we we do offer like pre-prepared um, snacks. So she uh, works um, with this awesome woman, Charcut Marie, who makes these pre pre-made charcuterie boards. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a yeah, great, great, name. great That's name. a great name. Um, so par- partners with them, um, this local maker that makes different different dips. Um, so we have these kind of prepackaged things that um, Melissa has helped bring about, but also coordinates um, all the food trucks, um, which was a scramble the first year opening so late in the season to, to get, um, you know, enough here to fill out, you know, most days, most days of the week. And then it, it was better last year. And this year, I think from like May on, we're basically booked seven, seven days a week. Okay. Um, so that, uh, that is a lot of what, what she does here and also works with our marketing and events manager to plan out, um, both community and private events that we have in the space. But Melissa really has like three, three jobs. I don't know how she does it. She's a dietitian at Maine Medical Center. She also has a leadership position with the, um, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And then has her job here as well. So yeah, and, and when we when we do like food specific events, you know, Melissa is the person who's there. Um, so we have we have two coming up: uh, one at uh, Cunard Tavern in East Boston, and then one at the um, Portland Harbor Hotel. And those are going to be like beer, beer and food pairings. Oh, and cool! So she's going to be there to like you know walk people through that stuff and how the beers pair up and why they are there and those those kinds of things. Hey. Is, does it fall into, I mean, this is a better question for her, though, of for a long time it was, let's get some really thick beer cheese soup or let's get, you know, the, the, the deep fried, you know, whatever. Are you able to, is she able to, and with the brand, sort of steer the conversation towards, yeah, you can have a pint, but you can also have a salad or yeah. <laughs> you know like, or whatever it is that, that healthy it, people eat i don't yeah, I don't, if, yeah. If, if and when we ever have our own food food program that yeah. we're, we're in control of i think that's there's that gonna be no good. oil there's no gonna be i think no, she's, like, she is fine oil. she is fine okay. with with what she's not like uh, a health food nut i think she, 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 she would way, advocate yeah. she would advocate you know everything in moderation and balance um but i hear her say often like why you know i want to i think it's fine to pair uh, beer with a, a bowl, you know, like a rice bowl, right? yeah. <laughs> or like a, sa- a nice salad, um, or something that's a little lighter. Because I'm already having, you know, a seven yes. percent IPA. I don't also need like a greasy fried chicken sandwich with the fries. Sometimes I do, but not, not all the time. Right? Not at every place I go <laughs> when every... I'm on a brewery crawl from it, you, one place to the next. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you right now, have a pickle with a really hoppy beer. Tastes super good. good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. I know you're you're not, but like, good lord! Like now we're now we're somewhere in Texas, and yep. uh, <laughs> the pickle beer craze is taking off. Um, I've been asking folks on the show for 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 quite a while, and this is sort of uh, app being here in Portland uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic. Uh, which is the last time that I was here. I, the last time I was in Portland was in uh, late February of 2020. And shortly after, uh, when the world shut down, my wife and I started rewatching The Good Place, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with the show or not. But in the final season, they introduced the concept of the green door. And you can walk through a green door and be any place at any time, anywhere that you want. Uh-huh. So if we had a green door on our plane of existence, 
and this conversation could end and you could walk through it and be in any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world with anybody that you wanted to be with, where would you go? Who would you be with? And what would you like to be drinking? And Nick, I'm going to start with you. All right. This is, this is actually weirdly easy for me uh, because I think a lot of, I think about it a lot. I would be in 2012 in Boston at uh, uh, Greentown Labs meeting Jean-Claude Tetro for the first time and drinking uh, pot and kettle for the first time with Zach here. Uh, that actually happened. And it was one of those, again, it was one of those moments where literally drank pot and kettle for the first time. And it was something that I had been trying to brew at home for a really long time. And I was, I said to myself, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. This beer is so good. This is going to, this, this beer is going to change stouts forever. Everything. Yeah, basically. And Hey, guess what? It kind of turned out to be true. Yeah. But, you know, that, that moment was, that, that was a really impactful moment for, for me and my, my career existence in craft beer period. Um, was drinking that beer. It wasn't even it wasn't even a hoppy beer, you know, at the time. Yeah. Granted, he had Fort Point Pale Ale, and I'm pretty sure he had the the original uh, farmhouse on tap. But I went straight for that pot and kettle porter. Man, tell you what, that was that something was else. It. So there you go. That's my green door right there. <laughs> All right, Zach. When you walk through the green door, where do you want to be? Who do you want to be I, with? I appreciate your green door involved me. I, I hey, like it. There. That was that was very that was a meaningful he's, that was a meaningful experience. Not, that's the setup that he's. But not that is the setup that mine's. Yeah, <laughs> mine is not going going to include you. I'm very yeah, sorry. Totally fine. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> it, it's it's going to include Melissa. Uh, this would be um, two. 2008 I'd be a cafe golem in Amsterdam with, with Melissa uh, I was studying abroad in, in Amsterdam and just getting into craft beer and especially Belgian style beer and I found myself there like multiple days a week while while I was there trying you know all the different Trappist um, beers um, sours uh, but probably if, if uh, most nights of the week I was drinking Rodenbach Grand Cru before they started pasteurizing oh, yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it was before the pasteurizer. Before the, yeah. <laughs> when they let Louie in the door yeah. and just <laughs> fucked up everything. Yeah. Um, but I, that, that was a really like formative, formative experience in craft beer for me was having those Belgian style beers, you know, at a very traditional pub in, um, in Amsterdam. That's awesome. With my future wife. I love it. Um, thanks to you both for opening up the tap room, uh, well, this table at least, uh, for me to sit at with you guys. And I uh, haven't done many one-on-ones in person in a while, and it's, it's nice to be back in Portland and drinking great Italian Pilsner and uh, uh, hearing your story. So thanks for, thanks for being on the show this week. Thank you. Thank you so much. What's a new-to-you brewery that's impressed? Email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com or tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and you can read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. And don't forget, All About Beer is on social media at All About Beer. That's Twitter, Instagram facebook etc if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space and please do email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or you can support us by going to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer don't forget we have that podcast channel now it's the all about beer podcast channel search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice 
Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, that music means Nate Weber does the music. Jeff Quinn. <laughs> I tried to get all creative there, and I just messed it all up. Nate Weber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.